Hey, my name is Hendel Leva, and I am the host of the online show Immigration MIC, Moving Immigration Conversations. Every week, I put on my Beats headphones and create original interviews for everyone to enjoy. It's a great opportunity for young people, directly or indirectly affected by today's immigration policies, to have their voice heard in the conversation. Visit www.thehendelmediaproject.com to watch all the interviews and learn how you can get involved. Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of Immigration MIC where we move immigration conversations. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Jessica Ramos who is candidate for New York State Senate. Um, on her website it says that she is the proud daughter of immigrants and that she's a real Democrat. Um, and you were the New York City Director for Latino Media. That's quite a long list of accomplishments and you know I just want to say you know um, since this podcast began about three years ago, and you know, like I just mentioned, it began just with me interviewing high school friends to interviewing activists across the nation, we're the first political candidate um, that I've interviewed. So it means a lot, both to myself and, and the audience, um, just to have, you know, to be able to get into this space and um, for you to be so open and wanting to be a part of it. So we really appreciate this. Well, I really appreciate you because I think one of the biggest perks or advantages of um, technology and the way uh, the news and, and content creation is changing, especially through social media, is that particularly as people of color, as young people, as Latinos, uh, we're able to create our own uh, space right. and occupy our own space. And that's actually very much what this campaign has been about, too. So let's let's um let's start with the question that I always ask my guests at the very beginning. Um, besides, you know, aside from the campaign, aside from the political moment, who is Jessica? Who are we meeting today? Um, well, I'm a mom. Um, that definitely is what drives my life. I have two small kids uh, who are five and seven, both boys. Um, I'm raising them in uh, the neighborhoods where I grew up, where I was born. Um, and where was that? So I was born in Elmhurst, Elmhurst okay. Hospital. I grew up in Astoria. Um, but being Colombian American, well, we always spent lots of time in Jackson Heights. And this right. is the neighborhood where this my parents. This is where we are. We're at Jackson Heights. This is where we are. This is where my parents uh, arrived uh, to when they came to this country. Um, they left to Astoria, and the reason I grew up in Astoria is because my mom was a seamstress. It was the only work she could find, and she was working for a factory owner. actually does make 
uh, available. Um, and it's all about knowing, knowing how to navigate, knowing where to find information, knowing who can be helpful. Um, and I think that because the immigration system for such a long time has been broken, we seem to forget that because this is in a nation that's been built by immigrants, there actually are some resources out there and there's community, you know, sort of ready to welcome you. Um, so being director of Latino media for the past three years for the city of New York in a way is a misnomer because yes, I, I was um, the mayor's spokesperson uh, on Latino media uh, and I drove a lot of the strategy for the city agencies, but it wasn't just Latino media. It was really all ethnic media. So I, I, I took it um, very seriously and, and, and really I was very proud to have that job. I'm actually very sad to have had to leave that job um, because I was connecting with people from every corner of the city who comes from who come from every corner of the planet. I mean, that's what makes New York and specifically Queens sure. so great. No, and, and I definitely identify with that, and that's one of the reasons why I love working in the immigration rights movement, because I would be able to travel and meet people from different states, and that in itself is a very different, you know, way of living from, like, you know, either Jackson Heights or Long Island, like, you know, very different lived experiences. Um, but something you were mentioning about workers' rights and immigrant rights, that you have had a very close family connection um, as to how... I guess your advocacy started. Can you walk me through that? So I think, first off, I think, and this goes for everybody, right? We need to remember where we come from and how it is that we ended up in this country. Unless you're a Native American, your parents came here to this country, or grandparents, your ancestors came here to this country, somehow, in some way, for some reason. And it's important for you, for every single person, no matter who you are, to understand that. So for me, um, my dad came here first. My dad came here to connect with my uncle who had already been here, um, and he was looking for work. Um, and he came here with his visa, and he overstayed his visa like so many immigrants do. As many people do. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, whereas two years later, my mom, who wanted to see my dad again, my parents were already married, and in fact, my older sister is born in Colombia. I'm the first American born in my in my uh, in my family, and then there's my little sister who was born here as well. My mom wasn't able to get the visa to come to this country, so she uh, paid a coyote and flew to Mexico to cross the border at Ciudad Juarez. Um, it took her three days. She was 24. She actually doesn't like me. Um, it's very difficult for her. And I just want to point that out that, you know, um, how would I say, like, you know, I hear this all the time in uh, these interviews. It's, um, people say, you know, our parents, you know, don't really like talking about this, including my mom, including when I made my own documentary and you know, I was talking about this, my mom was hesitant. Uh, why, why do you think that, is, that our parents are hesitant to share these experiences? I think there's trauma. First, and I mean, I think, I, I still don't think my mom tells me the entire story about everything that must have happened to her during that time. Um, but ultimately, now that I'm running for office, my mom's scared. My mom has been a citizen since sometime in the 90s. I don't know exactly what year, but she doesn't know what this federal administration is going to do. And she's scared that, you know, if they find out, you know, how it is that she got here, 
that, you know, somehow she'll get in trouble or she'll be, you know. Right, and that's that's what the administration is doing now. Building on, you know, the targeting of undocumented communities also now going on for citizens yeah. or beginning to. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I mean, that's the whole thing. And I, I know, you know, your viewers might be thinking, oh, well, then why is she talking about it if, uh, if, if her mom is so scared and her mom doesn't really want her to talk about it? But the stories need to be told. Exactly. Um, and, and more than that, I'm so proud of my mom. I'm so proud of my mom and the sacrifices my parents made in order for me to have this life, in order for me to be a successful professional, in order for me to run for office, to be a state senator. I'm the first woman to run for state senate in, in this district. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And, and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them and for what they did for me and my sisters. Now, um, the immigration system has negatively so when I was a little, a little girl, um, and I don't remember because I was so young, uh, my dad actually was arrested in an immigration raid at a workplace uh, in New Jersey. He was working at a factory in Secaucus, New Jersey, when um, at that time immigration, because ICE didn't exist. People don't realize ICE wasn't created until 2003. It actually right, hasn't yes. been around so long. Um, so that's why abolish right. ice isn't the most far-fetched idea in the world. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. All right, good. I'm glad. And um, so yeah, so he he was arrested in an immigration raid at uh, where he was working at the time. Uh, and my sister, my older sister, who is eight or nine years older than me, remembers. Um, and you know, it was a scary time because. There were no cell phones. It was much harder to get information. I think it was a couple of days before we found out exactly where he had been taken, what had happened. Um, so I understand, uh, you know, when all of this family separation is happening, it really hit home. There was also the young woman who was shot by a border patrol border agent. Was I was devastated for days because I could have been my mother. I could have easily been in fact, I believe they were around the same age. 23 or so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and who's to say that because our federal uh, policies have been uh, so negatively, uh, because our foreign policy and our federal policies have so uh, have had such a negative impact on other countries that we can't take responsibility for the consequences of those decisions and of those actions. You know, people people don't immigrate because they feel like it. It's like, oh, you know, we're going to go live in America because it seems fun. No, we have to leave our home because we can't find work, we can't find food, or our children aren't getting the best possible education. And I think oftentimes, especially when it comes to Latin America, the reason for that is because of Colombia, or because the war on drugs, or, uh, you know, our interventions in Central America. You know, um, so we we can't as a country say, no, stop, you can't come to our country when we're really asking for it. So let me ask you, what was it like for you to carry or begin to carry these stories with you when you were high school student or going into college? What was that like? That's an interesting question. Because so many of our viewers are of that age demographic. Yeah, no, so I went to Hofstra. I oh, mean, okay. Yeah, so I know Long Island well, um, and uh, it was a different place then. 
Um, it wasn't as diverse as it is today. And I think that for a while, it was hard to feel like I belonged. Um, and at the same time, I found refuge among a lot of other uh, Latinx uh, students who had gone through the same experiences, whether their parents immigrated or whether they had immigrated themselves. I mean, I actually formed very special bonds with the international students at Hofstra. Um, and I got involved um, in activism. So I, I went to Hofstra when uh, we were trying to um, uh, end the contract that Hofstra University had with Coca-Cola because Coca-Cola had a lot of bottling companies in Colombia and was paying the paramilitary to kill workers who were trying to organize, um, you know, for better wages, for better working conditions, for better hours. Um, and, and thousands were murdered. Um, and that, I think, I can directly trace that sentiment and that sense of responsibility to my parents, right? And to understanding that, you know, if if there's anything that I can do here to help there, um, then I'm going to do it. It's it's sort of it's sort of a deep sense of responsibility and a pride and heritage that drives my work. It's actually how I ended up in the labor movement right. later. It's how I ended up in the labor almost for a near decade and doing the same thing. I actually my first job was right here on Roosevelt Avenue, which is right here. In 83rd Street, I worked at a law firm uh, where I met a lot of construction workers who were getting hurt on site. I met a lot of people who were having trouble, uh, you know, getting their papers um, because there weren't exactly laws or means for them to do it. They want to do the right thing. They're already paying taxes. They're thankful for being in this country, but the system isn't created for them to thrive, right? Well, I do want to say, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that you're mentioning, you know, a sense of responsibility. So. Myself, you know, with uh, my father being from Guatemala, being undocumented at one point, my mom being from Ecuador, and her finding a way to come to the U.S. that is not the most um, com uh, conventional way. Um, and also, you know, U.S. interventions in both those countries. Um, I also feel that a similar sense of responsibility having been born here and having access to resources and, you know, my parents putting me through college, it's like at this point, it's like, all right, I see how toxic and how bad the rhetoric is, you know, kind of something. Um, so I'm glad we, we share that in, in common. So would love for you to take me, you know, briefly through your path to um, the New York City Mayor's Office. Um, you know, you said you worked for a decade in unions. Um, how did you end up being the director of the unions? So I, um, I always kind of knew and I know this now, right, like in retrospect, I always knew that my vocation was in public service. I've never been one to feel like I need to make an exorbitant amount of money. Um, I I kind of have always had my heart just in, in, in my vocation being figuring out how to help other people. And that's just the way I was raised. I mean, my, par my parents were very politically active, um, especially in transnational politics. So uh, they were... Uh, militant members of the Colombian Liberal Party here, um, and uh, and so I grew up that way, um, and so because of that, you know, I was always involved in 
you know, the Columbian Civic Center. My dad helped found a, an, an organization called Siempre Colombia um, after a huge earthquake that happened in Armenia uh, in 1999. Um, and from there, that's how I ended up working at that law firm, which was my first job. Um, and then from there, I decided that, okay, I wanted to help workers because, um, you know, the situation was, was so bad for so many. Um, and I briefly worked at the city council, but then left to work in the labor movement. I worked for the social service workers union, which was really an eye-opening experience. People, people uh, really care about, social workers really care about their work and are not valued at all. I mean, you know, their wages are very low, their caseloads are very high, and they're doing God's work, right? Um, and then from there, I left to 32BJ, which represents office cleaners and security officers and public school cleaners, you know, building maintenance uh, workers, which ends up being a lot of Latino workers who work at night, who we don't necessarily see, who we don't necessarily appreciate, but certainly deserve to, you know, earn a, a living wage and, uh, and be able to have dignity at work. Um, and then from there, my last project there was uh, called Buildup NYC. And it was 32BJ, that union, with the building and construction trades and the hotel workers. And we started uh, targeting bad developers for building luxury buildings or luxury hotels in a way that was hurting communities around them. So we wanted to make sure that not only were those jobs union jobs, but we wanted to make sure that they were also uh, following through pledging and following through on building infrastructure uh, to help complement what they were adding to, to where they were building. And we were very successful and from there it was that I um, that I was appointed to uh, the de Blasio administration. But I just want to, so um, this, this last, so this last part of your job, um, so this is why I'm guessing um, renter protection is a big part of your plan. My parents have, have, are still yet to be able to buy a home, okay? Um, my older sister's been able to buy a home. I don't know when I'll be able to buy a home. Um, I have student loans that I'm still paying off, uh, which is essentially, an, you know, another rent that I pay a month. Um, and a lot of the work that I did when I was briefly in the city council was actually against the new landlord that had arrived here in Jackson Heights and Elmhurst called Vantage Properties. They're still around, but not here. We kind of drove them out uh, because they were using every single loophole possible to figure out, okay, um, if you're, if you're, if your name, if the name on the check for the rent that you're paying doesn't match the name on the lease, legally you can't be in this apartment. And it was just, you know, a series of different things like that that they were doing to just push working families out in order to gentrify the building, right? Um, so I did a lot of that tenant organizing. So I've been aware of the rent struggle for a very long time. And now I'm still a part of it. I pay preferential rent. I don't know if you, you know what that is. You know what that is. Um, so preferential rent is when, uh, so I pay rent at a rent stabilized rate, but um, every time my lease is up for renewal, my landlord can hike it up to market rate. And I've been in my current apartment for about seven years, and the difference between what I pay and what the market rate would be is a difference of about $800. If my landlord were to do that, I can't live here. I'd have to move. 
Um, and, and, and at, at the beginning, prices just go up. Oh, not, of course, of course. Out. And this is a transportation hub. You see this building right here going yeah. up. I mean, things are changing. It's New York, and I get it. But New York is gonna is gonna lose its salsa if 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 you know if immigrants and 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 and, up, and working people aren't able to live here. I mean. Here, especially in this district and in this neighborhood, we love to tout our diversity, right? We speak more than 160 languages, huge LGBTQ community, huge South Asian community, South American community. Yeah, all of those folks are going to be gone if we can't be afford to live here. It's a serious, it's a, it's a, it's a, I would say the, the biggest issue, not only in this campaign, it's the biggest issue in the city and in the state right now. I, I feel like Hearing you speak so passionately about it, now I'm like, okay, like I have to like after this interview keep up with that because like you know for me like I or for many people my age like sometimes we get focused on just one issue and then, like, don't realize that the other issues are interconnected and like totally. affecting nothing communities. happens in a vacuum, right? Immigration reform and rent reform actually go perfectly hand in hand because those are the folks who are renting. Now moving to your time at the mayor, at the at the mayor's office. Um, what do you think is the biggest lesson or the biggest experience that you've taken away from being in that position, um, specifically, you know, for our communities? Like, what's, what's your biggest lesson or experience? It's actually one of the major reasons I'm running for office now is because city government takes great pride in being very progressive. The city council is very progressive. The mayor is very progressive. You may not always agree with them, um, but by and large, they do what's right by, you know, our most uh, vulnerable communities. No matter what, how much the city does, if Albany doesn't have its stuff together, it can only go, what the city does can only go so far, right? And that's, you know, it, for example, actually, since we're talking about immigration today, even though the federal government is who has the power over immigration laws, the city government can only make sure that they're, you know, barely complying with ICE, you know, to let them know where folks are, right? So, for example, and I, and I was a part of this, uh, a Republican assemblywoman from Staten Island sued the, the city of New York because she wanted to know uh, how many undocumented people had asked for an ID in NYC, the New York City ID. And, and, and she claimed that she only wanted to know kind of clusters, like where, where there were more undocumented people uh, living. And you would be able to tell because of the supporting documentation in order to apply for an ID in NYC, whether people were using a foreign expired passport uh, or things like that. So of course, the New York City won the lawsuit. Um, but nevertheless, that's both. That's only so much the city can do. The state, on the other hand, can do so much more. And the the state, what the state needs to be doing is making sure that New York is a sanctuary state. And only Governor Cuomo can do that. And only the state Senate can do that. Because Lord knows the assembly has been trying for years. How many years have we been waiting on the New York Eight. Not that we're counting. Not that there's dreamers at home counting or anything, not that it's urgent. Um, it's, it's really frustrating because, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you, you saw the story in the news about Pablo Hidalgo Sensio. 
a pizza delivery guy, Ecuadorian immigrant, lives in Corona, so just the neighborhood over, my neighbor, okay, who had he had access to a state ID, a driver's license, would have never, him and his family would have never gone through this ordeal. I mean, this that could have been prevented, and we can prevent other stories like that if we have a governor, if we have a state senate that has a real uh, democratic majority that can pass the DREAM Act, that can pass um, driver's licenses for all, and most importantly, the Liberty Act, which I think sometimes gets lost in conversations. Yeah, the, so the idea is, you know, people know that, you know, when you get your Miranda uh, rights read to you, if you're arrested, you're told that you're, you know, you have a right to an attorney. That's not true uh, when immigration uh, arrests you. Um, you don't have necessarily the right to an attorney. Um, so the point of the Liberty Act is to make sure that New York State is providing immigrants in deportation proceedings, especially uh, with uh, with a defense attorney, um, to look into the case and to make sure that there's due process. Um, and and that's just the right thing to do. And one of the best ways that we can ensure that we're keeping families together, right? Um, we need to make sure that our immigrants are able to go to work, uh, go, to, go to pick up their child at school. All of these things are things that make New York, New York. Um, I always think about that movie, it's kind of old and not very well known, called The Day Without a Mexican. Have you ever watched that movie? You've heard of it? I mean, some, I always I, I always recommend people watch it because it's true. All of a sudden, you know, an entire population who you kind of dismiss disappears. What happens? What jobs don't get done, right? What's missing in your community and in your neighborhood? And that's how we have to think. That's how we have to value other people. I often feel like, you know, going back to, circling back to other issues, that we, you know, we prioritize the planet Right? We want to reduce single-use plastic items. We care about animal rights because it's the right thing to do. Some people go vegetarian or vegan. Others, you know, make sure not to use, you know, uh, a fur or whatever, uh, or that we're adopting instead of instead of you know uh, supporting pet stores. Um, we care about you know all of these other issues, and we sometimes don't value other people. Lives. And that's why, to me, immigrant rights and worker rights are so interconnected. Like, making sure that you're doing well means I'm going to do well as well. We're, this isn't a competition. You know, we Come all do better when we all do better. Yeah. Very well put. Um, I do want to ask you, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, the governor, state senate, etc. So, you're part of this new wave of candidates. Um, and and there are a few others running. Um, what does that mean to you at this moment, 2018, to be running alongside or as part of this like wave of like progressive change? You know, I so I I think a large part of it, of course, is people waking up to the fact that our state has been in disarray for a long time. I think that. A lot of people are more politically aware, of course, because of the presidential election and the bigot that we have in the White House. Um, Can you just repeat that to the camera? The, the bigot that we have in the White House. There you go. <laughs> um, um, and, 
you know, for a long time, Albany has been able to fly under the radar. You know, it's easy to pay attention to national politics. It's on TV when you turn it on. It's it's even easy to pay attention to what city government is doing because it's also widely covered and it's right here. You know, you see your city council person walking down the block. I know I do. And, you know, for Albany, it's different. It's, it's, it, it, there's kind of this secrecy. People have been there for 20, 30, even 40 years at times. And so there's no sense of urgency. And yet we've been living the affordable housing crisis, the public transportation crisis, you know, quote move MTA, fix the MTA, please. Um, and uh, uh, this immigration crisis, um, our, our education crisis. I mean, our schools are not fully funded. And that's particularly in black and brown communities, right? My district is owed more than $40 million in annual school funding. And that is not an accident. Um, it makes me it makes me very upset um, and so for those of us who are running for office and of course I can't speak for everyone but I think that given the fact that uh, the candidates you mentioned and, and others we have a shared vision and a shared set of values I think it speaks to you know the need to fight against the status quo um, people want change and people want different type of change. It's not even just about replacing the people who have been doing the bare minimum for so long and have been able to get away with nothing for so long, but it's more about course correction and figuring out how to have different elected officials. And I've done my best throughout this campaign and we're just 33 days away from, uh, from uh, election day now to show that more than just making sure that I can prove that I'm going to vote the right way every time on legislation, that I'm going to be out there talking to people, and I'm actually going to be asking you as a voter to come out and help me get stuff done too. So for example, on June 30th, there was a huge immigration march in Manhattan, uh, down by Foley Square, that was organized. We, for a brief second, said, well, we need to be there, right? And they were all like, wait. We have a huge undocumented population, larger immigrant population, right here in our district. So why not get as many people as we can to meet here in Jackson Heights and march into Corona to show them solidarity? Because people don't remember, even under Obama, right, Corona was actually one of, of ground zero for family separation. Too many people in Corona have gone through the immigration system um, and have had seen their families separated by it's similar ICE. Similar to Brentwood, New York, where I'm from. Right? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, around the same time. Yes. And that's why make, make make the road is here, and that's why make the road is there, and why, that's why make the road is in Bushwick, right? Because the our communities are the ones who have been negatively impacted by all of this. We ended up organizing around a thousand people. It was huge. People care. People want to feel like they're doing something. People want to, you know, uh, do their best and feel like they're contributing to a better world. So as, as, a, as an elected official, as a political candidate, what's your job? Your job full time is to figure out how you're organizing folks and how you are leading them into creating a political environment that's conducive to change, right? I, I want to lead those thousand people all the way to the state capitol to pound on the governor's door and say, hello, I don't want my cousin deported. Hello, I need my mom here, you know, um, and I need your help. These are the things that you can do. Um, that's, that's, I think, 
what the role of government should be, especially right now, always, but especially right now at this critical juncture. Well, I, I'm inspired. Yeah. No, no, yeah, yeah I'm inspired. Um, There's a lot of work to do. Yes, no, definitely there is. Now, you said we're 33 days away from election day, right? Um, how are you holding up with the campaign? I'm holding up really well. I honestly, voters um, and neighbors have been amazing so far. Um, I think if I can explain briefly, because we haven't really talked about it. Um, so I'm running against the Democrat. I'm not running against a Republican. I'm running against... Now this is a Francisco... No, this is Jose Peralta. Jose Peralta. I was yeah. just Francisco Peralta. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, so Jose Peralta has been our state senator for eight years. I have voted for him um, up until two years ago when he was reelected. Um, he decided that he was going to leave the Democratic caucus and join this group. With the Republicans. Yeah, he joined a group of eight Democrats called the Independent Democratic Conference. Um, and I and I put quotes under independent because they're it's a misnomer. They're actually very dependent on the Republicans. So they joined the Republican majority in order to get perks like bigger offices, more wow. funds for staff, um, access to discretionary funds, um, and all of these things. That sucks. In return for blocking progressive legislation. So they're actually the reason that we don't have. Uh, that New York's not a, uh, a sanctuary state. They're the reason we don't have single payer. They're the reason the DREAM Act hasn't passed. So, for example, Jose Peralta is actually the state senator who carries the DREAM Act, who carries the driver's licenses for all bills, but then he goes and supports a Republican majority who is going to support him in passing these laws. How, exactly? Um, that was actually, so that was one insulting part. The other worst part, now that I've told everybody about what our district looks like, is he, he's the only guy who did it after Trump was inaugurated. So you're not just tone deaf, you're complicit. That's a problem. At a time when, like, resistance is so important. Right, right, right. So, I'm sorry, but you can't be the face of this district anymore. You might look like us. You, you, you know, depending on what you're saying, you might sound like us, but you certainly, certainly don't act like us, and your values certainly are not like ours. So, I have 33 more days to keep knocking on doors, to keep talking to voters, to keep building community, and to unseat him on Thursday, September 13th. Well, I'm inspired again. Oh, <laughs> I know, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate you being so candid and being so open um, in, you know, kind of unpacking all of the motivation that you have behind um, why you're running. Now, I, for the last question, um, you know, if you could look in the camera, and um, actually we'll just wait until the stream passes here. Yeah, it gets noisy. But we've done a good job talking over it, so I just want to wait for, for this important part. I know. Well, I have a loud Queen's voice, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so if you could look in the camera, and I guess for, um, you know, for viewers watching, um, if you could just let them know, like, something, like, what it is that drives you day to day, and what is one lesson, like, for them to take away from, like, your story and your experience? So, I mean, I, I've talked about a few things that have driven me, right? My, my children, uh, my parents' experiences, 
but I think that what ties all of that together, what ties my career experience together, um, my penchant for storytelling and uh, wanting to talk about people's stories is love for other people. I mean, no matter uh, what you feel about a particular person or a group of people or, and I think this is where people get lost, we have to understand in our gut, in our heart, in our mind, that we all do better when we all do better. And I know I said that earlier, but it's in finding that inherent love um, and understanding that every single human being deserves to be clothed, deserves to be fed, deserves to be housed, um, deserves to have access to affordable health care, deserves to have uh, free public high quality education. These are all things that we need as human beings and that none of us have the right to take away from anybody else. And if your elected official or your community leader doesn't agree with that and isn't a person who's working their hardest to make that reality happen, and you realize that that's the duty, that you know that that's what needs to get done, then what you need to do is run for office. What you need to do is step up into those leadership positions and make sure that we're building for a better tomorrow. Because it's not, we're not at a time that we can sit on our laurels. We are at a time where absolutely everybody needs to play a role. So it's about figuring out what your role is. Um, and I may not know you, um, we haven't met, um, but I believe in you. Um, and, I, and, and that's the entire thing, right? Um, I think that our shared experiences as, as Latinos, as Latinx, as, um, as uh, you know, young people, as people of color, um, as women even, uh, it's important that we are aware that we deserve a good life and that we deserve to be our own voices um, and make our voices heard. Um, that's why I'm running for office. And that's why I think everybody should too. It's fun, people are great. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah. I really appreciate your time. Um, again, for the third time, I'm very inspired. Um, thank you for taking the time to sit for a podcast that you know has been able to grow in just two years. And again, you're the first political candidate that I've interviewed. So I really appreciate your time. And I really appreciate you using your story and your parents' story to help push the conversation forward, you know, which I think is the theme of your campaign as well, is to just push things forward. So I really appreciate yeah, it. No, thank you. And thank you for doing this. This is amazing. I mean, I, I know I said it at the beginning, but it's just so important for us to occupy space. Um, you know, we we're being we were raised uh, and we're, we're still growing in a system that wasn't built for us to thrive. Um, it was this was this was the system wasn't meant for us, but that doesn't mean that we can't figure out a role to no, a way to play a role and make sure that you know there's justice for our communities. Yes, well, thank you. I really yeah. appreciate that. Bienvenidos todos a otro episodio de Immigration MIC. El propósito es de mover las conversaciones de inmigración para adelante. Y hoy estoy aquí con Jessica Ramos. Perdón, que ya, ya se me está yendo las palabras. Jessica Ramos, que está corriendo um, en su campaña para 
explico usted. Bueno, sí. Hola, eh, soy Jessica Ramos, soy candidata para el Senado Estatal aquí en Queens. Eh, sí, estoy corriendo contra alguien que, a pesar de ser demócrata, decidió en los últimos dos años apoyar una mayoría republicana y de esa manera ha estado obstruyendo mucha de la legislación progresista que necesitamos como neoyorquinos para asegurarnos de que eh, tengamos mejor acceso a un sistema de salud asequible, eh, eh, reforma de alquiler que también es muy importante y lo poco que podemos hacer a nivel estatal para asegurarnos de que estamos protegiendo a nuestra comunidad inmigrante. Claro, claro. Y um, ahora, nosotros hicimos el episodio en inglés, entonces uno de los temas mayor que yo le pregunté fue sobre la historia de sus padres y um, cómo inmigración um, es, toca una, es, es una historia bien personal para usted. ¿Me puede explicar cómo fue? Cómo es? No, sí, es, es verdad y creo que es muy importante que todas las personas en este país, si no son personas indígenas a este país, que de verdad consideren eh, lo importante que es la historia de cómo sus ancestros, sus abuelos, sus papás llegaron a este país. Eh, mi papá y mi mamá siempre han sido una gran inspiración para mí. Eh, mi papá llegó aquí primero, él llegó aquí con visa y... De Colombia. De Colombia, sí, mis papás son colombianos, y, si, si es que el acento ya no me ha delatado. Eh, mis papás son colombianos, mi papá llegó aquí con visa y como muchos inmigrantes, se, después de que se expiró la visa, simplemente se quedó. Entonces, pues duró mucho tiempo indocumentado. Él, él eh, pudo eh, participar en la amnistía que a, ofreció Ronald Reagan en los 80s. Eh, pero, pero sí, y la historia de él, pues a pesar de haber llegado aquí eh, por avión, eh, cuando yo era bebé, él, a él lo, lo arrestaron en una redada que hizo inmigración en una factoría en New Jersey en donde él estaba trabajando y pues obviamente yo no me acuerdo de ese entonces pero, pero mi hermana sí y obviamente mi mamá sí y, y fue una época muy difícil para la familia pues porque creo que duramos un buen tiempo sin saber exactamente en dónde estaba obviamente no había tanta tecnología como hoy entonces, eh, entiendo mucho lo de la separación de familias eh, que está pasando, que está pasando en, en la frontera. Y hablando de la frontera, mi mami eh, a los 24 años decidió bueno, venir a este país a reunirse con mi papá. Mis papás se casaron en Colombia y mi, mi hermana mayor nació en Colombia. Mi mamá, eh, para llegar a este país, pues fue un poquito diferente porque a ella le negaron la visa. Entonces, como, como muchos inmigrantes, especialmente latinos, eh, le pagó a un coyote para que ella pudiera eh, volar de Colombia a México y cruzar la frontera en Ciudad Juárez. Eh, tenía 24 años, estaba sola, eh, duró tres días eh, cruzando la frontera. Eh, es algo que a mi mamá no le gusta pues, hablar mucho, le da mucho miedo. Eh, pues por, por el racismo que tenemos de presidente en este momento eh, porque no sabemos cómo van a cambiar las leyes aunque hoy en día pues mi mamá es ciudadana igual que mi papá ellos se hicieron ciudadanos en los noventas eh, pero ¿cuál mensaje porque ahora que estamos hablando en español a, a una audiencia diferente um, y tal vez ojalá que los padres de de, um, de, de la audiencia um, estén escuchando también 
¿Qué es el mensaje que usted puede mandar a los padres de los, de los hijos de inmigrantes? Si sí, sí, se dice, um, sobre, hablando de las historias personales, um, aunque haga miedo, digamos. Ya, yo, eh, de, de haber trabajado eh, en una oficina eh, de inmigración, sé que hay muchos inmigrantes que no hablan de sus, no cuentan sus historias por miedo, pero también a veces con pena vergüenza y no hay nada de que avergonzarse. Eh, sabemos que este país muchas veces ha tenido políticas con nuestros países eh, latinos especialmente eh, que han forzado pues, eh, situaciones económicas en donde las personas no pueden encontrar buen trabajo, no tienen acceso a oportunidades de educación, entonces pues resultan viniendo acá a este país y son esas historias las que han creado este país eh, si llegaron por barco por avión por frontera por no importa eh, lo importante es de que toda esa valentía que toma dejar todo atrás para ir a un lugar completamente foráneo en donde tal vez no conoces a nadie con cinco pesos en el, en el bolsillo eh, pero con grandes sueños y con muchas ganas de trabajar, eso es lo que importa, eso es lo que ha creado este país y créame que si usted tiene hijos que nacieron en este país, ellos se sienten muy orgullosos de usted y de todos los sacrificios que ustedes han hecho, Por, sé que tú te sientes así, igual yo y, y para mí ya como madre tengo dos niños eh, que tienen 5 y 7 años, ambos varones Mediante van creciendo, quiero que ellos entiendan y puedan contar esas historias del, abue del abuelo o de la abuela, ¿no? eh, para que nunca se les olvide claro. los sacrificios que, eh, que resultaron en, el, en ellos poder tener acceso a este país y las oportunidades que brinda este país. Ahora, le quisiera preguntar sobre la motivación que usted tiene a... Um, hacer una candidata bien progresiva junto a Alexander Cortés y Cynthia Nixon y cambiando el status quo aquí en la ciudad, pero también en Albany. ¿Me puede hablar sobre su motivación? Pues la motivación somos nosotros. Eh, francamente, vivimos bajo un sistema que no fue creado para ayudarnos a nosotros tener éxito. Eh, hay leyes que, no, que han prevenido que nosotros podamos comprar casas, tal vez hasta abrir pequeños negocios, no se facilita necesariamente, eh, pero a pesar de que las noticias cubren muy bien la, el, lo que está haciendo el gobierno federal y es fácil uno saber lo que está haciendo el alcalde o el consejo municipal, por mucho tiempo el, el, estado, el gobierno del estado y lo que hace el gobernador y el senado estatal como que pasa desapercibido, ¿no? Eh, y, eso tiene que cambiar y ahora que las personas están mucho, mucho más eh, involucradas en el sistema político, están poniendo atención, tenemos que entender de que la única forma que nosotros como neoyorquinos nos podemos defender del racista en la Casa Blanca es el racista en la Casa Blanca, eh, es, es eh, asegurándonos de que el, el gobierno estatal sea lo más fuerte posible, ¿cierto? Y por eso es que yo estoy apoyando a Cynthia Nixon para gobernadora. 
eh, porque el gobernador actual y mi contrincante, el, el senador estatal José Peralta, han tenido ocho años, si son demócratas, si, si dicen ser progresistas, han tenido ocho años para poder pasar medidas para proteger a, a los inmigrantes, asegurarse de que, de, de que el Estado sea un Estado santuario eh, y, y los inmigrantes puedan tener acceso a... a, a abogados cuando se presentan para casos de deportación, por ejemplo, asegurarse de que los inmigrantes tengan acceso a licencias de conducir, para que no volvamos a ver casos como el de Pablo Villavicencio, el que el, el, el muchacho papá eh, que vive aquí en Corona, es más, o sea que es vecino, él, él estaba eh, haciendo un domicilio de pizza, ¿no? Y lo cogió y alguien lo delató a inmigración. Eh, y eso es algo que pudo haber sido prevenido si él tuviera una licencia de conducir y cómo identificarse. Eh, no podemos dejar que esas cosas pasen más, pero yo creo que para hablar sobre el momento político que estamos viviendo y lo que hemos visto en, en, en cuestión de que más gente está poniendo atención y les importa más la participación política, es porque queremos ver un cambio, porque estamos despertando y dándonos cuenta de que las cosas tal vez para muchos no estén tan mal, pero para muchos sí lo están, y no tiene que ser así, es que no tiene que ser así, no nos tenemos que resignar a, 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 a que las rentas sigan subiendo eh, y los caseros tengan formas de desahuciar los apartamentos, y esto es un mensaje que yo siempre le digo a los inmigrantes y en particular a los colombianos, porque, y me imagino que en la audiencia también habrán colombianos y colombianas escuchando, eh, los colombianos solemos, eh, a pesar de vivir acá, estar muy pendientes de lo que está pasando en Colombia. Y eso está bien, es importante. Porque los inmigrantes vienen a este país para trabajar muy duro y muchas veces mandar, aunque sea un poquito de dinero, para ayudar a la mamá o al hermano o hasta a veces los hijos que quedaron en, en su país natal. Pero también merecemos vivir con dignidad aquí en este país. Sí. Así que también necesito que participen acá, que pongan atención a lo que está pasando acá, a que llamen a sus oficiales electos si es necesario para empujarlos a que hagan lo correcto acá. Es importante. También tenemos derechos. Tener papeles o no tener papeles no quiere decir que no tenga derechos. Todo el mundo tiene derechos en, en esta ciudad, en este, en este estado y en este país. Exactamente, y um, para, para concluir, um, se puede mirar a la cámara y hablar sobre la importancia para la gente joven o que, que, que están trabajando, digamos, para legislación más progresiva. ¿Qué es la lección más importante o experiencia más importante que la gente se puede llevar de su experiencia? Bueno, diría yo que a lo largo de mi carrera, que ha sido más que todo en comunicaciones, eh, sea, sea en el movimiento sindical, abogando por los derechos de los trabajadores o en la alcaldía, igual abogando por trabajadores, pero pues también eh, incluyendo los inmigrantes y personas joven, jóvenes y personas de la comunidad LGBT, eh, siempre comunidades que, que son mucho más vulnerables a, al, al vaivén del, del gobierno, lo que esté pasando en el gobierno. Eh, Creo que a veces se nos olvida lo importante que es el amor al prójimo, eh, el entender de que cuando la otra persona está viviendo una buena vida, eh, 
es mejor para nuestras vidas personales también. Eh, es por la razón por la cual crear comunidad, fomentar ese amor de comunidad es tan importante. Y como jóvenes, eh, seamos inmigrantes o hijos de inmigrantes, eh, y especialmente jóvenes latinos, creo que tenemos la responsabilidad de encontrar cuál es el, el, el papel que vamos a jugar dentro de esta sociedad que no fue creada para que nosotros eh, neces necesariamente eh, seamos exitosos. Es importante que pensemos en quiénes son nuestros oficiales electos o nuestros líderes comunitarios, dónde hay un huequito que hay que llenar. Eh, y la verdad, es, esto es más que nada un llamado a a que piensen en tal vez correr ustedes mismos eh, para, para ser oficiales electos, para ser legisladores, eh, para eh, asegurarse de que las organizaciones comunitarias eh, de verdad estén eh, sirviendo a la comunidad, eh, asegurándose de que eh, todas nuestras comunidades tengan liderazgo que no solamente reflejen nuestras comunidades, pero que de verdad vayan a luchar eh, por, por un mejor mañana. Es, es muy importante, en este, especialmente en este momento que estamos viviendo, de que no, 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 nos, que no seamos conformistas. Eh, no hay razón por qué eh, tenemos que seguir viviendo así. Nosotros somos los dueños de nuestro propio destino. Muy buen dicho. Sí, sí, verdad. Yo nunca podría correr para para candidato y hablar español. ¿Por qué? Sí, entre más hable español y más practiquen, más fácil se le hace. Ahí está, eso dice mi papá también. Pero, claro. Um, Jessica, muchas gracias. Yo quedé bien inspirado de las dos entrevistas que hemos hecho. Um, te deseo toda la suerte del mundo en, en, en esta su campaña. Y um, creo que, bueno, es un honor para yo entrevistar a usted. Um, usted es la primera candidata política que ha sido parte de este show. Um, y muchas gracias por ayudar empujar um, la conversación de inmigración para adelante y para ayudar a llegar a, una, a un lugar más progresivo. Bueno, pues la verdad es que tú te inspiras a mí también, eh, porque me parece muy importante lo que estás haciendo, eh, de, de asegurarnos de que estamos siguiendo esa conversación, eh, pero de una forma en donde nosotros controlamos el ambiente y las preguntas. Es muy importante crear nuestros propios espacios y ocuparlos. Bueno, ahí está. Muchas gracias y que todos tengan un